When I was in seminary, I had the privilege of being a seminarian with some African seminarians. These were men studying for U.S. dioceses, but who had been recruited from Africa. And it was always a pleasure because the, the faith in Africa is just very alive and on fire. And the way the faith is celebrated on that continent um, is very inspiring. But it can be convicting, too. One of these seminarians, I was in a preaching class with him, and he told us that, at least in his country, if he were to preach for less than half an hour, that people would be upset with him because they would believe that he hadn't prepared for his homily. It's just like, how can you preach for half an hour? That is, that's hard to do. Well, then I was confronted with our readings today. If we were to dive into every detail of every reading, we could preach for much longer than half an hour. These are incredibly rich readings today. But the cultural expectation in the U.S. is 12 minutes, so you get one reading. The central drama of the Old Testament is whether Israel, the chosen people of God, will remain faithful to their covenant with the Lord, who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. This drama permeates every book and is preached by every prophet. And like any drama, this question about fidelity reaches its climax in an ultimate conflict that threatens to destroy everything. Our first reading summarizes this drama and climax powerfully, so that's why we're going to explore it together. In those days, all the princes of Judah, the priests, and the people added infidelity to infidelity, practicing all the abominations of the nations and polluting the Lord's temple, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. When are these things happening? They're happening in the before time. The book of Chronicles was written after the great calamity. That's the watershed moment. So everything previous to the Babylonian exile just gets blurred together. It's simply in those days. And who are the central actors in this drama? It is both the leaders and the people. Every member of the people of Israel had become corrupt. And what are they doing? They are adding infidelity to infidelity by practicing all the abominations of the nations. Today, from the Christian perspective, we are tempted to see the Old Testament law as fussy, legalistic, and focused on the wrong things. But we forget that the details of the law hardly matter. The intention of the law was to keep the Jews faithful to the Lord. All around them, the neighbors of the Israelites were practicing idolatry and immorality. So God gave his people a different way of eating, a different way of washing, a different way of living. The purpose was not the specifics. The purpose was the difference 
By being separate and set apart from their neighbors, the Jews would be protected from the idolatry and immorality of their neighbors. If they ate differently, they would remain free to worship differently, too. But instead, in those days, the Israelites no longer wanted to be set apart. They wanted to do what everyone else was doing. So they abandoned the law of the Lord. They entered into political and social alliances with their neighbors. And consequently, they began to worship false gods in the temple of the Lord. They added infidelity to infidelity by practicing the abominations of the nations. So what did God do in response? Early and often did the Lord, the God of their fathers, send his messengers to them, for he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. Even when Israel was unfaithful, God remained faithful. He tried to win them back over and over again. But the Lord was unsuccessful. They mocked the messengers of God, despised his warnings, and scoffed at his prophets, until the anger of the Lord against his people was so inflamed that there was no remedy. What does God do when his people abandon him to such an extent that there is no remedy? In the parlance of the Old Testament, he punishes them. Their enemies burnt the house of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, set all its palaces afire, and destroyed all its precious objects. Those who escaped the sword were carried captive to Babylon, where they became servants of the king of the Chaldeans and his sons. Now, as Christians, we believe that God is infinite and unchanging love. So we struggle with the idea of God punishing. And yet, we can say that God will always respect our choices. If we choose to sin, God will allow us to experience the consequences of that sin. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. The Israelites chose to worship idols, So the Lord allowed them to experience the darkness, confusion, and corruption that comes from being disconnected from him, the one true God. The Israelites chose immoral living, so the Lord did not spare them the unhappiness and division that results from sin. And the Israelites chose to rely on their political alliances to protect their city, So the Lord allowed those political alliances to fail, as they always do, and for Jerusalem, its temple, and its people to be conquered, destroyed, and exiled. We may not say that God actively punishes, but allowing us, or the Israelites, to experience the natural results of their sinful choices often looks the same as punishment. And yet, the Lord did not abandon Israel. 
even as they were learning a hard lesson in exile about what life looks like when they abandon their covenant with the Lord, the Lord was working to restore them back to that covenant. After 70 years had passed and the land had retrieved its lost Sabbaths, the Lord returned the Israelites to their land and rebuilt their temple so that they could begin again in fidelity. My friends, I cannot help but think that the pandemic has been to us what the Babylonian exile was for the Israelites. Again, we would never say that God desired the pandemic, that he desired the deaths and the job losses. But we might say that in having everything stripped away from us, the Lord did give us the space to realize how unfaithful we had become and how we were relying on the abominations of the nations for our salvation, rather than on our covenant with the Lord. Priests and princes and people, can we not say that all of us had grown complacent and had begun practicing the abominations of the nations? Take the Mass, for example. How many of us priests would treat it like just another appointment on our calendar, as something less than the source and summit of our faith? How many of us parishioners would skip the Sunday Mass regularly without worry? How many of us thought of it as nothing more than a boring obligation, rather than an opportunity to offer worship to and commune with Almighty God. And yet, now, so many of us look forward to and even plan around our Masses, both weekend and daily. I have heard people describe a longing for the Mass that they wish had been there all along, a longing that did not arise until the Mass was forcibly taken from us by a pandemic. Or consider prayer, that activity that we never seemed to make time for. Before the shutdown, there always seemed to be something more important to do, more fulfilling to take on, more exciting to engage in. And yet, once all of our distractions were taken from us and we were left with nothing, suddenly all those previous excuses rang hollow. Praise God, I have heard from so many parishioners that their prayer lives have blossomed and grown during the pandemic in a way that has given them strength and renewed purpose in their faith. What else has been stripped from us? How else has God used this deprivation to call us back to him? In the Old Testament, the Babylonian exile worked. 
God sent no prophets after the temple had been rebuilt, because the remnant of Israel had learned its lesson and knew everything it had came from fidelity to the Lord. But the Babylonian exile was 70 years long, and our pandemic may last for only 18 months. As a pastor, I deeply worry that we have not had enough time to learn our lessons. That when the distractions return, we will go back to our old ways. That five or ten years from now, we will forget that everything we have has been given to us by God. Everything we have is a gift that could disappear at any moment. I worry that we will have gone back to relying on ourselves and our own efforts for our salvation rather than on the grace freely given through Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that light at the end of the tunnel has been getting brighter and brighter in recent weeks, and praise God for that. But before life returns completely to normal, before the abominations of the nations are once again in full swing around us, we might want to take stock. How has the Lord used this pandemic, this temporary exile, to call us back to him? How have we, how have I, grown during this time? What are the lessons I have learned? And finally, How will I solidify those lessons so that this newfound fidelity can remain, so that the Lord will not have to teach me these lessons again?